are decisive times. The church confronts the anti-church. Let us consecrate this reflection to the Immaculate Virgin Mary, who with Jesus are victorious over the powers of the enemy. Mother Mary, pray for us. Amen. This reflection is also available in text on the podcast. Dear family, we are living in decisive times. A person's time on earth has always been decisive because it determines our fate for eternity. But our times are decisive in a particular way. Because while in the recent past, Western society respected Christian values and many identified as Christians without much commitment, simply based on family tradition, things have changed. We have entered a new stage of the spiritual battle and are facing a new world order with an aggressive anti-Christian ideology. As the world pressures us to accept immoral practices, each person will have to make a decision for Christ or be swept by the world. We will be tempted to capitulate thinking every time we're tried, I had to do it. But we would be fooling ourselves. We are making choices. And there is no discipleship of Christ without choosing the narrow path of the cross. Christians have come to this crossroad since the beginning. When Jesus was taken prisoner, Peter followed him at a distance because his love for Jesus was still imperfect and he could not overcome his fear. Another example of a crossroad was when Henry VIII of England declared himself the head of the church. Only one bishop in all of England, St. John Fisher, remained faithful, and he was martyred. The acquiescence of the others resulted in a division in the body of Christ that remains to this day. But a remnant of faithful priests and lay persons the few persevered and many died martyrs in the ensuing years. History gives us a vital lesson. Few remain with Jesus at the cross. The question now is, will we? Only if our love, like Peter's, is perfected, through suffering. It is for these decisive times that the Lord has been forming us in love crucified. We need to live our identity and mission and deepen our response every day, making the choice to embrace the cross with Jesus. 
So what are we facing? Colonel Carl Wotila visited the United States in 1976, two years before being elected Pope. His words were like lightning amidst the festive spirit of the Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia. He said, We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that white circles of American society or white circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives and a total gift of self to Christ and for Christ. Through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. Carol Wotila had personal experience of the horrific suffering caused by the Nazis and the communists and the subsequent enslavement of many countries. He was not speaking lightly when he told us that we are facing the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. That it is now inevitable and will be brought about in blood. Be attentive. The confrontation is between the church and the anti-church. This means that the battle lines are being drawn. You're with the Lord in the church or the current will sweep you away. I know there are many good people that are not in the church. We pray for them, but they are in great danger. The anti-church also has infiltrated the church, but the Lord will never allow us to be misled. If we remain humble and obedient with Mary at the foot of the cross, being one with Him, suffering with Him, the Lord will guide us. The church faces the anti-church, which means the battle is spiritual in its essence. This battle is portrayed in the book of Revelations. We see the confrontation between the church and the evil demands of the pagan state, the Roman Empire. But the state 
is under the power of the red dragon. Revelations 12. It is a godless religion formed by the enemies of God to persecute the woman. In the book of Revelations, we are warned that the anti-church appears to be invincible and therefore multitudes will bow to its demands. The faithful in the book of Revelations are encouraged to persevere when threatened with martyrdom. And this is the word of God also for now. The Lord is encouraging us, don't be afraid to suffer for me. The anti-church will be conquered by Christ through a faithful remnant with Mary. They are those who are willing to shed their blood as victims of love and persevere through the tribulation. Joseph Rasinger, who later became Benedict XVI, wrote that the church will be purified, he said, the church will become small. The real crisis has scarcely begun. He will have, we will have to count on terrific upheavals, he said. What we're seeing now is that the enemy works hard while we are distracted, asleep. The warnings of the popes, of Mary, of so many saints and prophets has gone largely ignored. Meanwhile, the anti-church works tirelessly to control the vital elements of society. Government agencies, the media, schools, universities, corporations, sports, even the so-called fact-checkers. We must wonder, how can so many diverse institutions work in unison, forming the same ideology, forming this anti-church to effectively impose the anti-gospel? And the answer is, because it is a religion orchestrated by Satan. Most of the players don't realize it. They're just driven. They're driven by the sins of power and ambition. But St. Paul tells us clearly in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan needs relatively few collaborators that are, we could say, his inner circle. They sell their souls to Satan for power, for money. But to those few who are the powerful ones, Satan gives power to deceive multitudes. Look at the book of Revelations. 
The multitudes are vulnerable because their hearts did not receive God. Here's an example. On Good Friday, the main plotters were religious men. They were attached to their power and positions, and Satan used them to mobilize a mob who cried out, Crucify him! Many who had walked with Jesus welcomed him in Jerusalem, but their hearts had remained closed. Jesus had lamented, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. My family, these words apply to us today. Jesus saying, Miami, Miami, Atlanta, Atlanta, Bogota, Bogota, whatever you live at. How few understand this confrontation. How few are going to be able to discern when this inner circle begins to gather, as already has is happening, a worldview, a mentality, a tendency. That's why we must be immersed in the word and in the path that the Lord has given us, avoiding being distracted by the anti-gospel that is all around us. How shocking to see how crowds can turn around and follow this anti-church. And crowds are made up of individuals. And my dear family, the passion is repeated throughout history. We're seeing it now. A powerful elite is deceiving the multitude, which is around us, pressuring us to think and act as they do. In other words, to yield to the pressure of the anti-church to believe the anti-gospel. And this multitude is mixed. Some are violent, but others think that we are fools and are trying to help us. They could be families and friends pressuring us. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, St. Paul tells us, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. And so, the great tool of the anti-church is, first of all, deception. Then later comes violent force. But let us now focus on deception. That means that those blinded minds that St. Paul speaks about, they don't have the light of the gospel. They fall for the anti-gospel because it offers them what they crave for. Or the anti-gospel promises them security, protection, 
at a moment of danger. The anti-gospel presents itself as being nice, as being good, as trying to help us. It's a deceitful ideology that contradicts the truth, the moral principles of the gospel, but at first is not self-evident. Today, journalism has been replaced with propaganda that pushes us to follow patterns, and it sounds like it's for good reasons, but we need to discern deeper. Lies are repeated until they are accepted as dogmas. Dogmas that determine what is right and wrong. And my dear family, the dogmas of the Antichrist or the Antichurch are incompatible with the dogmas of Christ, the teachings of Christ. For example, if you believe that children must be protected from scandal, from the sexual orientations that are now trying to influence them, that they should be living a joyful life with their parents, living as the stage of childhood should be, that's incompatible with the agenda of sexualization of the children, inviting them to change their sex. The two cannot coexist. You are with one or you are with the other, and this is the battle we're in. You cannot have both in the school at the same time because they contradict each other completely. And so, these dogmas want to tell us that we are following the truth and we're following science if we follow them. But in reality, they're not science at all. They manipulate science and they shut down any qualified person that does not support their agenda. There's no honest discussion of facts. And data, is true, does not lie, but those who manipulate the data do lie. And so now we hear about progress. But progress is a code word they're using for the anti-church that means to dismantle everything Christian by portraying it as oppressive. Look at what they did to Junipero Serra, the great saint that evangelized California, who loved so much the indigenous people. He, He brought them to Jesus. He protected them from settlers that wanted to abuse them. He taught them all that he knew to help them to have real progress, especially in their relationship with God. And now they're, the, this anti-church is toppling his statues and condemning him like if he was a, a racist. That's a lie. The anti-church adopts exalted ideas as a bait to deceive and enslave. For example, the French Revolution promised liberty 
fraternity, equality. The communists claim to be for social justice. All a lie. When they take power, they do the opposite. St. John Paul II warned us about this agenda. This agenda of deception. 28 years ago, he said, I quote, Vast sectors of society are confused about what is right and what is wrong and are at the mercy of those with the power to create opinion and impose it on others. Dear family, the priority of the anti-church is to impose this way of thinking, confusing us about what is right and wrong. And this way, the anti-church aims to destroy what is most sacred, human life through abortion, the family through destruction of the sacrament of marriage and the meaning of marriage, sexuality. We don't even know if we're men or women anymore or if it makes any difference. And the catastrophe of bringing all this false dogmas to the children. So, now having legalized the massacre of the unborn, the anti-church goes after the children, overriding parental authority to impose the LGTB indoctrination, gender theories, to advocate for the right of surgical gender transition. The anti-church exploits also the wrongs of the past because there are many wrongs done in history. And so they take advantage to condemn the entire history of the nation and therefore rewrite the books of history to cancel and distort all that does not fit their narrative. And that's a big lie. It proposes then to fix all problems through revolution. Everything up to now is evil. It's wrong. We have to do everything now new in according to our doctrines. And it exploits anger and frustration to incite riots, calling for the defunding of the police, It violates the God-given constitutional rights of religion and free speech with any excuse they can find. And those who object are labeled as terrorists, hate mongers, agents of misinformation, radicals, extreme right, homophobes, sexists, bigots, and the list goes on. Those people are excluded from society. They are stripped of professional uh, credentials, lose employment, and are blacklisted, fined, defamed, censored, canceled from social platforms, even brought to court and imprisoned. All this, my dear family, is to bring about the Great Reset. 
What is this? The Great Reset is one of the objectives of the anti-church. A master plan of a powerful elite who seeks to control through a new world order. One of their agencies, the World Economic Forum, gives us a glimpse of the objectives of the Great Reset in their own website. I quote, The world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our society and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism as the way to make this world a better place. Cardinal Muller, the ex-prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, has warned that the Great Reset aims to control, I quote, all aspects of society, including religious practices and ownership. Is the Great Reset a, a theory, a conspiracy theory? My dear family, the Great Reset is no secret and is well documented. It appears in many publications in the United Nations. Time magazine had a special on it. But some say, oh, it's crazy to think that a few hundred or a few thousand ambitious and wealthy elites are conspiring to control the world. You, if you think that is crazy, you know nothing of history. That is what has been happening since the fall. The uniqueness now is that the whole world is the big price. That's what they're after. Think about all the empires that dominated, that enslaved people. What was it? A conspiracy? It was a reality. It was the great reset that the people in those times could do, and they were many times successful in gathering incredible power. But others dismissed the danger, saying, Oh, it cannot happen here. These people are trusting in the Constitution, our system of government, and the good sense of the people. They think that is going to prevail. They are optimistic. But my dear family, optimism and pessimism only reflect wishful thinking, our human expectations. Christians are optimistic in the sense that we live by faith. But it's not the optimism of our desires and expectations. Rather, we believe that all things will be for the good of those who love the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. But we have no illusions about an easy path. Jesus could be viewed as pessimistic, when he foretold his passion repeatedly. And Peter, as the optimist, 
said, This shall not happen to you. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan, because you're thinking as men do and not as God does. The Lord wants to teach us to think as God thinks, not as we think. Jesus appeared pessimistic when in fact he was actually demolishing the old way of thinking so that we can face the cross with faith and conquer it and bring about his kingdom. Without faith, the natural response is to deny the reality of the cross and when that is no longer possible, we fall into what? Fear and despair. And then we will do anything that the anti-church tells us. Fear follows and the devil does what he wants because we have been weakened and confused and we have lost sight of God. So we need to know the confrontation we're facing in order to avoid deception. We also know that Satan's great reset in reality is a parody of God's real great reset. God is about to reset the whole world through Jesus who said, He who sat upon the throne, Behold, I make all things new. Revelations chapter 21, 5. Scripture teaches us that God's ways are not our ways. God calls us to trust Him and renounce to our plans, our sometimes fallacious common sense. Even when it seems to bring us security. Think about the Jews. Uh, sometimes they would despair because they saw the Pharaoh chariots coming. They forgot about God. They wanted to return to Egypt. But also in the New Testament, Jesus often tested his disciples so they would grow in faith. Jesus sleeps through the storm. Jesus tells them to feed a multitude with five loaves. Jesus tells them to cast the net when there were no fish. To follow him not knowing where to go. Now the Lord is saying, trust me, follow me, be with me. I will guide you. I finish with two messages that the Lord has given the Love Crucified community as he has called us to be his warriors, along with those who are willing to listen for these decisive times. The first message is from April 10, 2012. The Lord said, Satan is working to bring forth his new world order of destruction. But my crusade of victim souls will possess the power of God to crush the head of Satan. You are the heel 
of the Queen of Heaven and Earth. Continue giving your life daily for the mission I have entrusted to you. Do not lose hope in all that I have placed in your heart. My crusade of victim souls will have to suffer greatly and be formed to perfection in love to fight this fierce battle. But know that my cross has triumphed. Now, through this crusade, it needs to triumph in the hearts of my people. Persevere in love. Persevere in trust. And in April 30 of 2012, my people are vanishing in the trap of Satan as fish accumulate in the fishermen's nets to be brought out of the water of life. My people are perishing as they accumulate by the multitudes in the net of Satan's deception. I have given you, my little ones, the treasures of heaven containing my simple path to freedom, and you persist in your stubbornness. Forty years my people persisted in their stubbornness as I led them to new life. You must be bold, my little ones, for the justice of God is now upon you. A time of great darkness is approaching. Life as you know it will cease to exist. It is only my victim souls that have entered the safety of the cross who will be in peace. And it is only they, my victim souls, who will be able to fight this battle with my mother. My priests who do not become one with the word of the cross, will perish with the multitudes. We will continue in the second part. God bless you. For more information on the path to union with God, please visit the Love Crucified community website at www.lovecrucified.com. God bless you.